thank you for joining us for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. I'm here with Jay Jones. Good morning. And this is Text Driven Tuesday. Indeed. My chair feels... Your chair got all messed up, yeah. That's because we recorded two testimonies, and they sit in that chair, if if anybody's wondering. So they probably tilted it down and gave it a little cant backwards, it looks like. Yeah. You're going to have to... I thought I had fixed... That that might be a little bit better. Huh. Yeah, that might be a little bit better. Yeah. I thought I'd fixed it, but then we started, I was like, man... You look leaned back. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, small price to pay. I'm sure no one in the church recognizes all my bobbleheads behind them when they're giving their, t- their testimonies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, designated... You can't stop me from being in these videos, Jay. Yep. It's a designated chair. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, it is uh, Monday morning for us, Tuesday morning for you if you're listening to us. It is a nice 11 degrees here. <laughs> I'm actually really surprised by how warm I feel in this room. We cranked up the heaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to keep those pipes yeah, nice. from freezing. I thought I was going to have to be wearing a coat in here. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Yeah. It is, indeed. It's not nice outside, though. No, it's not. No. Did you hear about the earthquakes? There were some earthquakes the other day. In a... Did you hear about the conspiracy theory is what I want to know. No, I didn't. You didn't hear about the no. conspiracy theory? No, but you know Drake, I... Drake is living up there, and he actually felt it. Did he? And he heard the, like, it made a boom noise. Did you see the videos uh-huh. of that? Uh-huh. So he thought somebody mm-hmm. had, like, jumped, because he lives with college dudes. Uh-huh. He thought, like, somebody, and he lives on the third floor. He thought somebody had, like, jumped off of a chair and landed on the floor really hard. Okay. And then he, like, kind of woke up, and he's like, oh, like, the everything's shaking. Kind of crazy. Uh, there's a conspiracy theory. Yeah. That w- is it harp, the harp weapon? Or is that what they call it? The one from space? Um, direct energy weapon? Which one? What, what's, uh, what's the there were people just saying that uh, it was a bomb. Oh, really? It was, it was a series of bombs that <laughs> okay. were going off. All right. It, it was. I, I knew you were probably either going to go there. It was like a fracking deal. I've, I've heard that people are like, "Oh, it's the fracking." That's that's what doing. that's what I read about the earthquakes. But yeah, there were there were people that were saying it was bombs. Hmm. So, so didn't, there, there didn't, see, some, didn't see anything saying it was ten foot aliens. No, so that was a little disappointing. That is disappointing. However, speaking of the aliens, did you see um, David Grush? I think it's David David Grush. He testified before uh, in a skiff to members of Congress. That's a secret like facility, you know, like where everything's locked down, so it's secure, totally secure. Okay. They obviously couldn't talk everything about what he had said, but one of them said, eh, "Highly interesting." Of course, if you listen to us for any length of time, they said, um, "I can't remember where this person was a congressman from, what state." But they, she said. What I found interesting is he never used the word extraterrestrial or alien. He instead used the word interdimensional. Okay. And the reporters are like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Yeah. But, of course, this fits easily within the biblical narrative. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interdimensional beings. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So. Interesting. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Well, I uh, 
came across a little meme, mm-hmm. and I immediately, you know, I immediately thought about you. I thought of an <clears throat> an amazing meme, and I almost made it. And then this was like as I was in the in between, you know, like as you wake up, the that realm in between where you have like incredible ideas, mm-hmm. and I didn't write it down, and so it's gone forever. It's disappeared. It's a shame. And it would have been. I've only made like two memes in my whole life. Really? Because I like to hold them tight. Like they've got to be quality. Mm. And this one was real quality. Was. <laughs> but but we'll never know what it was. We'll never know what it was now, George. It's gone. <laughs> sure. We'll, see, Shay. we'll have to see what Let's happens. Take your word for it. When I wake up tomorrow. <laughs> well, I found this meme and immediately thought about you. Do you like gumbo? Cajun food. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll eat it. I'm yeah. not, I don't really like. I'm like, like make it at my house, mm-hmm. but I'll eat, I'll eat it. Well, I immediately thought of you when I saw this, and you'll you'll know why. <laughs> you want to throw that up on the screen, there, Jerry? I do not want a gumbo recipe from the New York Times. Yeah, I want a gumbo recipe from an old woman named Mama Thibodeau Landry who can bare yes. knuckle box an alligator while <laughs> yes. reciting the Holy Rosary in Cajun French. That's it. People know, like. See, this is not just me. Mm-hmm. Like you know, yeah. When it comes to food, you got to go to the to the source. The source, yeah, yeah. Gotta go to Mama. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she probably barefoot mm-hmm. on the porch. Mm-hmm. Just just stirring a pot. You think mm-hmm. it's a magic concoction? Like mm-hmm. she's an old witch? No, that's just like that's just an expert gumbo maker right there. <laughs> Yeah, I immediately thought about you. Yeah. Shay. I made a meme this weekend, but You I, did? I didn't put Is it, it not worthy? I put, well, I mean, I can I can send it uh to myself and and show it to you. It'll take just a minute. What's the context of this meme? Uh just the weather. Mm. Just mm-hmm. the weather. Uh you know, it's uh it's been it's been really cold. Yeah. But there's been uh <clears throat> yeah, been some snow. They actually had snow up in Oklahoma City. We didn't get it. We didn't get any. There was some out by the lake, I think. Was there? For a little bit, yeah. Just a little bit north of where we are. Okay. Uh, yeah, I made this one. Uh, I made this one on Friday. Woke up and went outside and looked at my car. You were feeling inspired? Yeah, went out and looked at my car. Uh, you can put it up there if you want to. <laughs> everywhere else it's snowing it's snowing lawton best oh, i can do is dirty rain you know why that <laughs> you know what that's from right like there was dirt rain yeah uh oh it was nasty yeah it was the ca- cars were covered in dirt and oh, it yeah. was from the rain yeah yeah it's on the front of that cold front i guess I don't yeah know. we don't we don't get uh we don't get snow best I can get, do is dirty we, get, rain. we get mud just yeah. mud coming from the sky mm-hmm. yeah my uh my car was it was nasty so that was yeah. a that was a meme that I made. Yeah, Jay, that's pretty good. Pretty good one. Well, uh, it is text driven Tuesday, so we'll get into the text. Um, grab a Bible if you want to. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead and grab one. <laughs> we're start. We're starting Romans uh, in earnest this morning, yeah. and uh, we're looking at verse one. Verse one. Verse one. Yeah. People usually skip over. I mean, that like they read it. But it's not something that they they really just kind of sit on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think 
your context probably will dictate how much time you're going to spend on on something like this. Like you say, you did one verse, mm. Romans one one, but you know we have a there's a lot of new Christians in our church, yeah. like a lot of them. I would say we're an anomaly, uh, an adult, and I'm, I'm not talking like new Christians that were converted to VBS. Though obviously there's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking like adults, and yeah. so they and some of them literally have no idea what the Bible is about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They ask questions, and uh, and they're true and genuine questions, but they're questions you just, if you're only around Christians all the time, you would never think that that would be like a question, just because you're you're in this like world this where people just presume everyone has that, already knows that, you know? So maybe if you're preaching the beginning of Romans in like a conference where everyone's a Christian there and they have and you're pretty sure they are and they have been a while. Maybe yeah. maybe don't need to spend as much time on the very beginning, but either way, I think for new believer or old believer, it's really good to be reminded of the truths that are here in this first verse. Yeah. To see how he's really setting this up because to keep in mind he's writing to uh, a church he didn't plant that they don't know him, mm-hmm. but his plan is to come to them. Right. And so they obviously, the Christian church had heard probably about this conversion of this right. man who was a one-time persecutor of the church and now is apparently um, planting churches and has this title of apostle. Mm. So the question is, is he is he real, really an apostle? Yeah. Right? And so wanting, I think, to have a good reception when he arrives to know who he really is this first verse is really just front loaded with this introduction. Right. It's bigger. Galatians contains another bigger portion of, of Paul and his background. Mm-hmm. But Romans really does. It's it's got this longer this kind of like in-depth description of Paul in verse 1 and then the rest of the introduction is really filled with what's going to come in the rest of the letter. So it's just really filled front loaded with a lot of theology in this uh, in this introduction to the letter. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's have you read it, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it. Okay. Let's uh, throw it up on the screen. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. There it is. There it is. <clears throat> there it is. All yeah. Right. So it's um, the outline is not um, anything. <laughs> creative really i mean it's just there's three kind of phrases yeah. that are descriptions of paul that he's given of himself and so the outline follows those three yeah that's it okay yeah. well it it probably would be helpful to be reminded of the three purposes of the book before we jump into why paul is introducing himself this way mhm Right. So the first uh, I think is you can discern is there's a very long, in-depth explanation of the gospel. And so that includes the universal condemnation of all men under sin. That's the bad news. But then the good news that in Christ we can be made right with God. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Uh, but then he really it's really a long section. He elaborates on all of this, um, the gospel— a long presentation, pure his longest, probably the, I guess the longest in the whole New Testament. Uh, so that's the first purpose to give a clear presentation of the gospel, and 
that serves another purpose of uniting the church. That's the second. So Jew and Gentile believers make up the church, mainly Gentile, but to really to unite this group of people who really can't be united under any anything else, um, to unite them under this one true gospel, real unity in the church around the thing that really matters for the other purpose, the last one, the third one, to uh, for Paul to garner support to go to to take the gospel to Spain, mm-hmm. and we get that. Uh, elsewhere in the letter, but that you can kind of see how they all fit together. The gospel, which unites this church to the glory of God, so that they could together cooperate with Paul to take the gospel to places it's never been before. Right. So he introduces himself in this way so that they <clears throat> not just know who he is, but that they could listen to him. Right. Yeah. So they so they'd be ready to receive the letter. Mm-hmm. as authoritative, as we'll see, and then when he comes to receive the rest of his teaching right. uh, to them as authoritative as well. Right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we've got three ways that Paul describes himself here to uh, give a right impression of himself so that they'll listen to him, mm-hmm. but also so that they'll kind of understand how they're supposed to live as believers also. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. Indeed. <clears throat> All right. Well, it's uh, like like Jay said, it's super easy to see these. They're just right there in the text. He describes himself three ways. The first way that he describes himself is as a servant yes. of Christ. Yeah. Paul, a servant of Christ. That's how it begins. And uh, the first word, Paul, this this isn't <clears throat> anything out of, out of the ordinary. Letters that would be written in the empire at this time would begin this way. Uh, you know, Jay... You know, he who once was a plumber and became a, a an officer in the military and is now called uh, to preach the gospel to you, my friend George, who is also in the gospel, right? So it's sender, receiver, and we see that very first word in verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be an apostle. And he uses the word Paul. Uh, Paul, his Greek the Greek pronunciation of his name, Paulos, and people have made a lot of that. There's been a lot written. There's been a lot written because Acts starts. He's Saul of Tarsus, mm-hmm. but then there becomes a switch in Acts, right. and he's called Paul. Um, many people kind of see that as, oh, like this is the new name that Christ gave him after his conversion, because you know he Jesus would often give people new names. Mm-hmm. Um, Though um, that's possible, he had to completely eliminate that. But I think more likely is this explanation that he's Paul. This man is born in Tarsus, a Roman citizen. Usually, when Jesus changes someone's name, there's like a meaning behind the name, right? Yeah, like Simon's now changed to uh-huh. Petros because he's right. a rock, right? Yeah, I don't think there's I don't think there's really a significance to. Yeah, I mean, he, <clears throat> realistically, I mean, you're born in to the empire a Roman citizen, mm-hmm. so you need a Roman citizen's name, right, to run in those circles, mm-hmm. and so he has a Greek a Greek name. But the Greek equivalent of this <clears throat> is Saul. So likely from his birth, because his parents are Jewish, mm-hmm. but they're also Roman citizens, or he couldn't be one. Um, he's probably called Saul as well. So it depends on like the spheres that he's walking in at the time, whether right. he takes the name Saul or he goes by his ne- same name, mm-hmm. Paul. Um, 
But because he's minister at a, at a preacher to the Gentiles, everywhere he goes in the Gentile world, he's just using the name Paul. Mm. I think that's the best, probably, explanation. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he uh, he introduces himself at the beginning. Well, how in the world did we get away from that in our own correspondence? I don't know. Like we we don't put our name at the beginning. We only put it at the end. Yeah. We yeah we put who it's to at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then the very end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look at the end to see who it's who it's from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he calls himself a servant mm-hmm. or a doulos. Right slave mm-hmm. yeah interesting choice of words mm-hmm. um there's before we jump into that but though i think we should take note of servant of christ jesus mm. uh, it's the very first thing he says uh, so i think it's what he wants them to know is the most primary important thing about who he is like he his identity is tied to the messiah to the messiah and that's christ jesus not jesus christ and there probably is something to that order, because he'll show in the next couple verses how this is tied to the Old Testament, the promises of God. Mm. So he's a servant of the Messiah, um, of the Messiah who is Jesus Christ. And so his identity is completely tied to that. And I mean, everywhere he he introduces himself, this is how he'll he goes about it. Mm-hmm. It's all he's always Paul, the servant of Christ, um, <clears throat> and. There is in the in the Old Testament. I think there is something to this, uh, kind of like the heroes of the faith that we know of, right? So think about Moses and Joshua and David. This title really isn't thrown around for everyone. They're called servants of Yahweh, um, and so I think also also here in this we can see instead of Yahweh, we have the second person of the Trinity. Not the, and, and he's. I mean, there's there could be a lot to that, right? Like he's making it. Right, explicit statement to the divinity of Christ, mm. putting that in there, yeah. but it also puts Paul in that line of servants, mm. people that have served God, yeah. and now he has the same title, but instead it's Christ. Okay, um, I found that to be kind of interesting. Right, think of it through that way. But yeah, this word uh, that he uses is really loaded word, mm-hmm. uh, doulos. Yeah. It it means slave. That would have been really. Um, that would have been. Significant, given the fact that he is a Roman citizen, right? Yeah. Um, so there's there's kind of this, um, yeah, uh, surprising label, yes, for someone who's uh, who's a Roman citizen. Now mm-hmm. he's calling himself a slave. Yeah, and it's his favorite. It's his favorite title for himself. <laughs> right. It's, it's what he calls himself pretty much in all of his writings. Uh, let's talk about that word because that's a loaded word here in America. Right. Slave. Yeah, so it's almost a it's almost like a dirty word. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about slavery, right? Uh, but we have to talk about slavery. It's uh, this word "doulos" is all over the place in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's talk about it a little bit. Okay, so first thing you should know, I I think, is that the Roman Empire is composed of approximately thirty percent slaves, and they're intertwined into every aspect of Roman society. Like you can't walk down the street and do, and know like who is a slave and who is not. Because a slave, uh, depending on their role, may have more wealth than you do, right? They, so their clothes may be nicer. They may have, and you can maybe be able to visibly see that they have more influence. Um, so <clears throat> slavery in the Roman Empire came about through a number of ways. It wasn't like American slavery, that which was based on race. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone could be a slave. Right. So you... 
and it wasn't it wasn't um there there was some like man man stealing like oh, kidnapping yeah. but For that sure. wasn't that wasn't the only way that someone became a slave yeah a, a lot of a lot of the roman slaves became slaves simply because their nations were conquered mm-hmm. as rome expanded out over their their power spread out uh, you got conquered and now you were likely would be taken into slavery mm-hmm. and so over generations many people were just born into slavery so they weren't freed persons um however it is interesting that if you think about it so you could have a slave who does like takes care of someone's home or maybe you think about like hard manual labor working in a mine that's how we think of slaves but slave could also be highly educated and be like an architect mm-hmm. so you know those roman aqueducts could have not only been built by slaves but could have been designed by them so every aspect of the Roman society, even like political advisors, military strategists, um, slaves, mm. it's, it's kind of crazy to think, right. to think about. And the whole society was tightly linked to this. <clears throat> there were so many of them, uh, they even debated passing some legislation that would require them to wear some type of identifying marker. And they then they decided quickly, like, we better not do that because <laughs> there's so many of them. If they know how many of them there are, yeah. they may try to overthrow the government, mm. you know? So they... Uh, uh, slavery was one of the one of the reasons why the Roman Empire started to crumble, mm. um, just because they had... They did have so rebellions, slaves, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so depending on your rank as a slave, like there's a, a class of slaves, for instance, that serve Caesar in Caesar's court. Um, they would be some of the most, could be some of the most powerful people in the empire. Um, so you have to get yourself out of the thinking, I think, of uh, American slavery into that world. Right. Um, you could become free. You could become emancipated. By, you could maybe earn so much profit for your master that you're emancipated, and then you even can make wealth for yourself as a freedman. And as a freedman, you could even start to climb all of the ranks of the Roman social order, even all the way up to, but they would never let you into the senatorial class, obviously. Um, you had to be born into special families for that. Mm-hmm. But you could climb the ranks uh, through that. It's very interesting to read into that stuff, but everyone... Uh, who would receive a letter from Paul that had the title doulos, that's going to carry more weight than just a servant, because a free person can be a servant. You right. may be a Roman citizen and be a servant of someone else, mm-hmm. um, but not a not a slave. Right? To be a slave is to be completely owned uh, by somebody else and to literally live for that person. Mm-hmm. Right, And that's the title he takes for himself. It's not something that somebody imposed upon him. It's a way he likes to describe himself and other Christians. So he'll right. describe the people that are co-laboring with him in the gospel as you know fellow slaves of Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's just very interesting to think about. Um, so he could have picked any number of Greek words. There are if you get John MacArthur's book on this, he has a whole book called Slave. There's at least at least half a dozen Greek words that mean servant. This word never does. This word always means slave. So it is very interesting to think about that. It's interesting, my, because uh, <laughs> the, the ESV does not translate it as slave. No, it puts a little servant, right? It puts a does foot. It, say, it puts a footnote. Yeah, there's yeah. a footnote. There's a preface. Um, it 
they explain like slavery wasn't, you know, American slavery. Right. Um, but it almost comes down to just wherever the translator wanted to translate. Because they, they translate a slave in some places. Right. Uh, but not in others. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of comes down to, I don't know, the preference of the... Of yeah. the translator, mm-hmm. um, I I started using the the Legacy Standard Bible more, and they one of the things that they did was they consistently translated Dulos's slave yeah. throughout mm-hmm. the the New Testament, um, so you can see it. I I appreciate that. I think the Holman tried to do that as well. Did they? Um, which now is the Christian Standard Bible, Christian Standard Bible. Mm-hmm. So I think that's in there. Uh, there's uh, it's a little bit of a side side trail, but. Like you said, the the ESV has a little footnote mm-hmm. down there, and it says that there's a preface note mm-hmm. in it. Uh, maybe some people don't realize that your Bible translation has probably a preface mm-hmm. that explains some of these uh, these right. translator um, principles right. that are used. Uh, the ESV and the Legacy Standard have a preface note about the use of doulos right, and why they translate it the way that they do. So yeah, so. Yeah, it's important yeah, to sure. realize that your your Bible has some tools that you can use to understand why they're translating certain words the way that they do. Yeah, it was we had a, I had a really awkward time uh, in the first preaching class I was ever in, long time ago, and the guy who preached before me, he encountered this word as well, mm-hmm. and he went into great lengths to talk about how it wasn't slavery that it was. Uh, he brought in all this Old Testament uh, oh, yeah. servant, mm-hmm. like indentured servanthood type mm-hmm. thing. And then I preached the next sermon, and I said completely the opposite. <laughs> I, I, pretty, I pretty much said what I yeah. you know, talked about. Well, Sun, it's Sunday. It's, it, I mean, it's the the concept is of being owned by something, mm-hmm. and it goes. Uh, I mean, he Paul's going to expand on this in Romans. Romans chapter six talks about how we're slaves to sin, mm-hmm. and how we've been set free to be made slaves of Christ. Um, and there's there's big theological concepts mm-hmm. that's behind this word doulos. And if you try to water it down because it makes people uncomfortable because of America's history, you're you're missing what the Bible is talking about when it says that you're a slave to sin. It's not just that you're a servant to sin; it's that you're you're in chains. Right. You're in chains to sin. You you can't do anything other than sin right. unless God sets you free. And He set you free not to just live however you want. But now you've been set free to be a slave to Christ, right? And you're owned by Christ, and that's what Paul begins his his gospel presentation with. You know, in this offense that we feel, it kind of rubs against your flesh to know that am I really a slave of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Um, that that would occur in Paul's day. Mm-hmm. Right? So yes, in the in the Christian church, and think about this dynamic: you've got slaves and freed persons, Roman citizens, worshiping together, mm-hmm. maybe even. Masters and slaves together, yeah, in the same of, place. You can think of Philemon. So yeah, right, and uh, and so the slave would immediately get it. I think they would say, "Oh, well, my devotion to Christ mm. is too is that of like as it is right this dynamic I have here." Right, uh, but now even greater because he's my savior. But think about the person that's born a Roman citizen, maybe of a high social class, mm-hmm. maybe the equestrian class. Yeah, you know, and then. 
You're now a, they learn they're a slave. You're a slave. You're a slave, <laughs> you're a slave of Christ. Yeah. I mean, Paul even talks about himself being led in triumphal procession in in Second Corinthians. Right, like he's being paraded through the streets as Christ's conquest. Right, which right. is like say, think of uh, a Roman general or a Caesar mm-hmm. uh, coming back with his general after just like conquering, you know, portion of Great Britain or something. Yeah, and you know, and then he's bringing in with him. The spoils of his war, which is a whole, this whole parade of slaves, and that's the that's what Paul is describing himself right. as. Yeah, someone who Christ has conquered. Yeah, Christ and, is marching him around. Right, <laughs> right, as yeah. a display of his of his victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and this uh, this and so this idea that Paul is a slave of Christ, it introduces the idea that his entire devotion is to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he's not saying things here in this letter that are um, his own device. Right. Like they're, not, they're not his own invention. Yeah. Right. Yep. So his whole life is wrapped up in the service of Jesus. And how does he serve his master? He serves his master by expanding the church, mm-hmm. planting churches, writing to churches, writing these we have as his epistles. Right. So... Yeah, and he expands it in the book of Romans and elsewhere mm-hmm. that we are also slaves of Christ. Right. Yeah, like you said, you brought up in Romans chapter six this idea. It's it's tied into our soteriology. So you you can't escape it. You can't escape being a slave. Is kind of what he what he drives at. And so people don't. That's very offensive. If you tell somebody, everyone's a slave to something, you're a slave. Right? Like you're a slave to something. Uh, but people who you know, like we as Americans, we're free and. But the whole time, not realizing, no, like I'm not free. I'm a slave to my sinful, my fallen sinful nature. We have a hard time grasping it in the West, but slavery is still a very real. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 reality in most of the world. There's yeah. there's still slavery, mm-hmm. right? But people don't view themselves as slaves to their sin. Mm-hmm. They view themselves as free, like to do as they will. Yeah, free will is exalted. What is that? Uh, phrase that's in the Satanist Satanist Bible. It was like, "Do as thou wilt." This is all of the law, something mm-hmm. like that. Okay, like people don't say that, mm-hmm. but they really think that the, they live it. That those that you know, like, if you're just thinking, I'm just living my life free to mm-hmm. do as I will. I'm right. not a religious. I'm not bound by anything. Yeah, but you're bound. You're bound by your own sinful desires. Right. And and Christ says that He says, "Anyone who sins is a slave of sin." Mm-hmm. But if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And Paul then answers the question, what are you free to become? You're free to become a slave of God. Right. So, but it also, if you think about it in this way, it, it, the highest, like if, if a, you think a person could try to attain to the highest level of achievement, achievement on earth, right? Which maybe used to be the presidency. Now that's fallen on hard times, hasn't it? We could, we, we used, we used to could say that to become the president. Wow. Like the, the highest achievement. Like that doesn't, this transcends that. To become a slave of Christ means you're now a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, mm. which may not always at times feel prestigious, but nevertheless is prestigious. Right. Yeah. And it also should shape how we live. Mm-hmm. And if this is true, it's it's not it's not something that we're just free to confess and then 
live however we want. Right. Um, th- this does confront us with how are we living. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, put yourself back there in the Roman Empire, and it's like uh, Slave George. Um, by next week, you will have constructed for me an aqueduct system. And you're not going to give excuses. You're just going to be like, yes, sir, aqueduct incoming. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And it's going to happen. Uh-huh. And that's your life purpose is right. to do, you know, what your master would have you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are bound by the same dynamic, right? right. It, if we have a Lord and he's our master and he gives commands, you know, we don't get to debate with him about those. We The only thing we are to do is to do them. Mm-hmm. And they're not burdensome commands. Right. This is what we should know about Christ. Like mm-hmm. his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Like we are we have the burden of the whole law lifted off of us and we become slaves to a new master whose burden is very light. Mm-hmm. Right? The command to love other people is is not a heavy burden. It's a very light burden. Yeah. Right? To uh to serve the church, to spread the gospel. Light burden. Right? Yeah. Especially when you consider, like, he's Jesus really doesn't ask us uh, of anything that he himself has not already done. That cannot be said of most earthly masters, but he's already done all of these things. So right. he's the perfect, the perfect master. Yeah, yeah. We've we've talked about it on here before. The this idea that you can have Jesus as your savior, but not your lord, and the uh, the lordship mm-hmm. debate. Um. But it seems really clear, <laughs> just right. at the beginning of Romans, Paul is a slave of Christ Jesus, and he's going <laughs> right, yeah. to call us to be slaves also. We should really eliminate from the evangelical like vocabulary this idea that we made Jesus the Lord of our life. Mm. Like, I made, this day I made Jesus my Lord. Right. That's not really what happens, and we can especially see that in the Apostle Paul. Like, he, you don't make him a Lord, he already is, and he makes you a servant, right? <laughs> you know, that's more. That's more what really a conversion is: mm-hmm. is you um, being apprehended by grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So Paul is a servant or a slave of Christ. Mm. Um, the second way in which he describes himself is that of an apostle. Mm-hmm. He's called as an apostle. Yes, indeed. Where do we want to go with this? All right. Well, the first thing is all Christians are slaves. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. But not all Christians are apostles. Right. Um, so maybe we should. I don't know where to go with this, Jay, because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of different directions I want to go. <laughs> uh. um, maybe start by defining what is an apostle. Okay. What, what is it? Because it's a word that it's one of those Christianese words that we read in our Bible and we hear and we don't ever define it. So maybe we should define it. First. <clears throat> All right. At its very most basic level, an apostle can mean just one who is sent. So okay. uh, technically, you could say, well, you really would, he's, she's never called this, but a letter carrier, Phoebe, mm-hmm. she's doing the function of an apostle, one who has been sent by another. But that's on this very most general broad sense. Okay. Now, above that would be the idea that pretty much everyone, even in this culture, would understand Um and it's really cross-cultural. So you could think about the movie 300. You remember the beginning of that movie, 300? Mm-hmm. Okay, so King Leonidas is there with his wife, and then an emissary shows up from King Xerxes. Right, That's an apostle. And you remember he says, blasphemy, 
to to uh, Leonidas because he's there, and the person who is sent by like the emperor or the king, their words conveyed are literally to be. The, they're the words of the king. They're the words of the emperor, and so that person is to be treated as if it's actually the person himself there, standing there. And so, you know, the iconic scene where it's like, you know, this is Sparta, bam, kicks kicks him down the hole. He kicks he kicks the apostle down the hole, um, which ironically, if you think about it, is what many Christians do with the apostle Paul. They jettison his words as not actually the words of the one who has sent him. Mm. Um but as we as we narrow the focus down into the Christian world, uh, an apostle the apostles started with the twelve, the the twelve disciples as we know them. Um, so Jesus calls twelve men out of the world; they're his chosen disciples. But also we see in Matthew chapter ten. Um, so in one verse they're called the twelve disciples, and he gave them authority. And then in verse two, the name of the twelve apostles are. And then he lists the name of the twelve apostles, or the ones who have been called and commissioned by Christ for a task. Um, and so, but when we move out of the Gospels into the Book of Acts, we've got a dilemma. There's a there's a problem. One of the disciples, one of the apostles, apostatized. Judas, remember, Judas beta- betrayed Christ, mm-hmm. and instead of repenting, he had a worldly sorrow, and it led to despair, and he killed himself. And so now the eleven are sitting around, and they say, "We've got to, we've got to find uh, another. We need someone to take his place." And so in Acts one fifteen through twenty six, they list the criteria of how they're going to choose. And so how they choose is this person must have been with us since the days of John the Baptist and heard all of Jesus' teaching. Okay, so there wasn't there wasn't just the twelve following Jesus around from the very beginning. We don't know how many, but it was a bigger group. There were the 12 who were the chosen, the inner circle, but there were the other disciples there too. So they have to have been there since John the Baptist, the days of John the Baptist, heard all of Jesus' teaching. And then second, they had to have been an eyewitness to Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead. So as he appears to the uh, these people, so that group kind of grows outward, you know, maybe up to 500. Um. But only two people meet that criteria. There's only two that were with them since the days of John the Baptist and saw Jesus resurrected. That's Joseph and Matthias. And then something interesting happens if you think about it. So an apostle has to be commissioned by Christ. So what did they do? He's not there at the time, so they throw they throw dice. They throw they cast lots. And they and they, they literally say it's for God to choose. God will choose the next apostle. And so they they throw it, and the next apostle's chosen. <clears throat> so these apostles in the New Testament, we, we see in Ephesians chapter 2, they're meant to be those who have been chosen, commissioned, which are evident by them having the power of Christ in them, doing miracles, and sent into the world by the resurrected Christ. Uh, but what is their purpose? And the purpose is to build the church, but they become the foundation. So Ephesians chapter 2 says that Christ is the chief cornerstone, and then the church is built, right? this is the imagery of a building, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so, obviously, we don't keep building foundations. Right? The foundations are what things are built on. 
And so the apostles lay the groundwork of the church, of the early church. They're the foundation of it. And so once a foundation is built, you don't keep building it. And so called and chosen by Christ, commissioned by the, the resurrection Lord, given his authority, they go out into the world building his church up. Um, given this criteria, it should seem obvious that when John dies, the last apostle dies, there aren't any more apostles. Because we don't see that the apostles, even the apostles themselves, can make another apostle, right? Because they aren't the resurrected Christ. So they can't pass this down. They can't be like, hey, Timothy, you've done well as an elder. Now it's time to up your game. I'm going to confer upon you the apostleship. Mm. And then sometime, Timothy, later in your life, you'll recognize a man. You'll pass your apostleship down, and the apostleship will be passed down perpetually. Well, it's funny you should say that, Jay. (laughs) Because there's an apostle in Latin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You seem surprised by that. I was I was actually yeah. kind of surprised <laughs> because last time I looked, you know, uh, you were you were uh, you were asking me to Google apostle in Oklahoma City, and yeah, I thought the the, the I don't even need to do that, Jay. Yeah. I don't even need to do that. Uh, now we've been accused of making fun of people <laughs> and uh, naming names, but I'm going to do both <laughs> this morning, <laughs> uh, just because I think that it's. Hey, it's 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 out there. Like it's uh, it's it's on the it's on the internet. It's public information. It's public information. Yeah. Um. And so we're not we're not calling them anything that <laughs> they don't call themselves. I'm just gonna look at this with you, Jay, and uh, show you. Kind of you you said yesterday in the sermon that uh, the the label apostle has fallen on some hard times. It's fallen on some hard times these days. Yeah. Um. So. Here we go. If you want to throw that up on the screen, we've got uh, Apostle Ray and Prophet Richelle Garcia. All right. And they are at the Impact Center here in Lawton, Oklahoma. All right. So we do have we do have an apostle. See, there. I was thinking we, we'd have to go all the way to Oklahoma City. No, no, no. To no, see no, that no. uh uh no. But uh let's uh, let's look at let's look at some of this, Jay. Let's uh so right here. We've got uh in July of 2016, Ray was ordained as a pastor through Breakthrough Church by Apostle Kathy Holcomb. Mm. In September of 2017, he was acknowledged as an apostle through Glory of Zion International Global Spears by Apostle Chuck Pierce. In October 2018, he was commissioned as an apostle through the Heartland Apostolic Prayer Network at Church on the Rock by Apostle John Benefield. A lot of apostles. So a, lot of, a lot of apostles here. I mm. actually went and looked at uh, Chuck Pierce, and I, I thought that this was funny. Chuck that, Pierce, he's he's yeah, here that, at uh, he's here at uh, what is this? This is um, uh, Glory of Zion International Ministries. But I saw this. He is known for his accurate prophetic gifting, which helps direct nations, cities, churches, and individuals in understanding the times and seasons in which we live. Huh. So you got an apostle down in Texas who is uh, he's helping direct nations. Ah, uh, you ever heard of Chuck Pierce? I've heard that name before. You think, yeah. you I don't know that, why I've think, heard it. You think like. The president has heard Chuck Pierce. Thinks, probably, probably he thinks not. Being being guided by. Uh... So anyway, we've got uh, Apostle Ray. He's been uh, ordained by another apostle, and he's been recognized by all other apostles. But ah. we've got things like this: apostolic oversight, 
Ah. Consists of six blessings. Counsel, protection, accountability, confirmation, encouragement, and commitment. Hmm. Interesting. The following ministries have counted the cost of and accepted the apostolic oversight of Apostle Ray Garcia. Very interesting. So I've got things like Four Winds Healing Center, Zion Glory, Rising Dove Ministries International. I don't know if that runs. Res Hop, Reservation yeah. House of Prayer for All Nations. Uh. Yeah, a lot of... Um, they do a lot of stuff with... Uh, like the like the the native tribes. Okay, they, they do some some of that, mm. um, and uh, apostolic alignments. So we got some more apostles. Got some more apostles. Wow. Here, uh, what I found interesting, you got this apostle here at the Impact Center, and I just clicked on um, tenets of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what was it you said? What was it you said in the sermon? That you'd think that someone who called themselves an apostle would be able to interpret the words of the apostles. They should be able to. I think that would be like the very first criteria. Uh, tenets of faith, they only have three. Uh, but uh, this is the one that I was looking for. Yeah. Our God is one, but manifested, manifested in three. Uh, so they're they're modalist. <clears throat> modalist, so they, yes. So they don't, uh, they don't even hold to the Trinity. Mm. Uh, so there you go. Um There you go. There's a there's an apostle, yeah, here in Lawton at the Impact Center, or whatever that's worth. Because as you pointed out, you also found that you can buy. I did, yeah, I did. And this we week lo- I found we you can looked, buy an apostleship. We looked up the ordering form. Yeah, uh, you can actually it's on, go a, down here for an ordination application. There it is. And you just click click just apostle. Click apostle. It's as easy as checking a just block. Like that there. Boom. I check. I checked the box. You could fill it out, send it away. Uh, it's the basic ordination package is just fifty eight bucks. That's dirt cheap for an apostleship, Jay. Yeah, it is. That's dirt cheap. Yeah, <laughs> you got your. But premium. you can uh, you can get an honorary Doctor of Divinity certificate. <laughs> uh, that's only forty eight bucks. Forty eight bucks. Yeah. Is that that's that's probably about yeah, ballpark yeah. of what you yeah. you paid right? Yeah. Probably paid that. Uh, this in, is the in one. Gas. This is the one that I paid that in gas in one drive for my <laughs> for my hotel to to where <laughs> in California. This is what caught my eye: pastoral counselor certificate. Yes, very, uh, that's very. that's fifty seven bucks. That's uh, that's a steal, Jay. It's a steal. But what was funny is that uh, the pastoral counselor certificate <laughs> includes a required Bible course. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you look up here with the honorary. Doctor of Divinity. Yes, it does not have a required Bible course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, you can send away and if you're and listening, you you're going to want to watch the video so you can see this this uh, application. You can actually send it away to World Christian Ministries org, and you can you can actually buy your apostleship. You can buy a bishop, mm-hmm. prophet. You can become prophet. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. uh, it's really easy to become an apostle. Yes. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah. It's very. Um, I mean, it's it's very subjective, right? I mean, what? I mean, what? Uh, I don't even know what you have to. I don't know if you have to do anything here. You just got to send the money. Send the money away. I don't know if you. 
you just got to have that cheddar. Send it in and get your uh, get your apostleship, mm. get your ordination, and yeah, don't uh, doctor degree and get it all. Yeah, yeah, you get a certificate to acknowledge your desire and dedication to advancing the Christian faith by becoming ordained and beginning your own independent ministry or church at whatever time you feel ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds like a do loss. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the very definition of a slave right there, Jay. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very subjective. Mm-hmm. But here, we coming back to the text, we've, we've got Paul. Mm-hmm. He's, he's called as an apostle. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and so this kind of brings up the uh, kind of the question, right? So we can see how the others are apostles, mm-hmm. but what about Paul? Because the church has already begun, mm-hmm. foundations are already starting to be laid, and Paul is a persecutor of the church. He's not a Christian. He hates he hates Christ. He hates Christians. He's bur- he's breathing out literally exercises while he is still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord while he was on his way to Damascus. Christ appears to him in the fl- in the flesh. Like we should not think of this as an apparition, right? The risen Jesus and ascended. Like th- that's interesting to think about. The risen and ascended to the right hand, Jesus Christ appears to the apostle Paul, right, in full glory, and he's struck to the ground and blinded, yeah, by that appearing, by his glorious appearing. And um, Jesus sends him to Ananias to receive his sight again, but it's through this encounter with Christ that he becomes a, a Christian. But also, not just a Christian, he's called an apostle. Here, um, Jesus tells Ananias he's his chosen instrument to carry his name before Gentiles and kings. And he does. Paul will have an appearance with Caesar um, and the children of Israel. So he, he later is commissioned in the same way the other, the other apostles were. The same way. Now, that happens later is very unique, Mm -hmm. uh, but still the same. Jesus appears to him. He's converted. He's called an apostle. But in Galatians, we get a a fuller kind of accounting of this in Galatians 1, 11 through 24, um, where he recounts, he said, I didn't even learn this gospel from another man. Yeah. That's interesting. Just think about that for a second. He learned the gospel itself from Jesus. Mm in the same way that the other disciples learned yeah. as well. So and and when he has this encounter with Christ, he doesn't immediately even run to the to the other disciples to yeah. learn from them. He disappears for like 3 years he disappears. Um goes like out into the into the desert, in the wilderness and he's I think probably examining the Old Testament scriptures and being taught by Christ. And so this, like the book of Romans and this amazing theologian we know, didn't just pop into nowhere. He learned it from Christ, right. um, and I think studied the Old Testament scriptures. And then he returns back to Jerusalem, and he goes to Peter, and he's eventually extended the right hand of fellowship from Peter and James and John, the other apostles. They, they acknowledge his apostleship. Um, he's not self-appointed, he did, he wasn't, and it wasn't even handed down to him by, from the other disciples. Mm. He's a chosen apostle in the same way that the others were. Um, 
And so there, that brings up the, this obvious point: there aren't any apostles left. Right. Like Jesus is not appearing to people and commissioning them as apostles today. Uh, anyone he did that do that to, if he did, he's not going to because the foundation's already been laid. Right. John dies, the foundation's laid, we have the Bible, the Bible comes together in the form eventually that we have it, and the church is built upon it, you're not going to, you don't build a foundation again. And we know no one is an apostle, because no one does miracles, right? Now, we aren't saying God doesn't do miracles, God still does miracles, mm-hmm. God heals people, Christians can pray for other people, yeah. and God heals them, and I believe even miraculous miracles... Uh, But those are God's, that's God's doing. These apostles that are sent by Christ, they have the actual authority of their master with them, and that's proven by their doing miracles, right? And not like, my back has been hurting ever since I got out of the army. I've tried to take all the medicine, medicine I can. Like, oh, this guy prayed for me, my back feels better. You're talking like crippled my whole life, never walked. And the apostle shows up and says, get up, in the name of Jesus Christ. Are you trying to tell me something about Todd White's uh, leg leg lengthening? Yeah. You ever see or the guy this? who kind of showed how he does mm-hmm. that? It's yeah. really He really does a sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, shady. some of these guys, they do claim to have done right. miracles. I mean, you've got, you got guys like Todd Bentley saying that he, he raised someone from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, once you start looking into stuff, it's... It's clear that they're they're just lying about they're lying they're just lying about stuff. Yeah, I I did have a um I did have a, a question and this is I mean this is just throwing this out here you, you probably haven't uh, haven't looked at it but in Acts chapter fourteen Barnabas is called an apostle yeah uh, the apostles Barnabas and Paul mm-hmm. what do you uh, what do you make of that Well, I think if he if he's an apostle, I think he and it's just not recorded for us. Like we don't have the writings of the other. I mean, we have like Peter mm-hmm. and John, and um, but where are the writings of the other apostles? Mm-hmm. Where is the record of their teaching? We don't mm-hmm. have it. So I'd put Barnabas in that category. That it's possible that the same things occurred for him that occurred for Paul, yeah. but we don't have a record of it, yeah. and it's lost to history. It's possible. I, I I probably lean this direction is that uh, the Barsabbas of uh, Acts chapter one that they were considering uh-huh. is as Barnabas. Okay, so he already would meet the other qualifications. He meets all the all the qualifications, and then uh, what is it? Acts chapter eleven or twelve? No, it's no, it's thirteen, mm-hmm. where uh, the Holy Spirit uh, tells the church in Antioch to yes. set apart set apart Paul, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas. Yeah. So. They're they're both sent out, and they, and they both go to the Jerusalem delegation mm-hmm. together, right? Um, and up standing amongst the apostles. Yeah. That's the only place that that Barnabas is called an apostle is is Acts chapter fourteen. So, yeah, yeah. There, there's a couple of ways we can understand that. I, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. So since Paul is an apostle, and that is a separate category that's that's not i mean in a in a very basic sense all christians are sent out because of the great commission right but that's not what paul is is talking about here when he says that he's he's chosen as a as an apostle Mm -hmm. um he's talking about that that office Mm -hmm. the office of apostle right um so since since paul is an apostle that does 
have implications for the book, right? Right. For Romans. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Paul's Paul's writings and Paul's instructions are to be viewed as carrying the same authority and weight as the one who sent him. Mm-hmm. As I said before, go back to that. Pretend, pretend you just live in the Roman world, and Caesar's mm-hmm. delegate comes up, mm-hmm. his apostle, right. his, and he were to tell a general, the words he speaks are taken as the words of Caesar himself, mm-hmm. um, and the, it is the same here. So, if Jesus sends you, he commissions you as an apostle. Now, what you write to the church is to be taken with the absolute authority of of Christ himself. Yeah. That this is Christ speaking to you through this man, mm-hmm. um, and so you can see why that would be front loaded in the letter, because he's going to say many things, and some of them hard to swallow for sure, uh, especially if you have um, you're maybe borderline, like you're considering joining the church. Like there's stuff that's really going to rub you the wrong way mm-hmm. for sure, but even other things uh, in regard to the Jew and Gentile and their relationship together. Um, it's all to be taken as absolutely authoritative. So, you know, later when he will, he'll tell people to stop arguing about days and be humble toward each other. That's to be received as if Christ himself is telling them that. Um, and that's the way we should take Paul's writings today. And this has really practical implication because there are, I mean, we just here in chapter one, he starts talking about um, men throwing off their desire for women and and having desire for each other. And he's talking right. about, about homosexuality. And, right. and one of the arguments that is made is that, well, the words of Paul are not the words of Jesus. Right. These aren't these aren't the same. Uh, we we see that in the arguments against women pastors mm-hmm. because Paul says it in First Timothy, but the argument is that's Paul, that's not Jesus. Right. And you brought up a quote from Beth Moore. Right. Right. Yeah. Like this isn't even this isn't even just an argument that's made in the what we would call I mean, like the liberal right. the liberal world. This we, is something that's even in the evangelical circles. Yeah, we tend to think, I think, in the evangelical world, this is this is what the mainline churches do. Yeah. Right. So we we've got people serving communion to dogs. Like we don't we don't get there overnight. You know what I mean? We right. get we get right. there by starting with Mm-hmm. That's Paul. That's not Jesus. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, they follow this insane trail down to where they have you know transvestites preaching in their pulpits. Um, but that's how you get to. That's how you arrive there. So this is obviously we see that going on in the, in the Methodist and Episcopal and Lutheran and PCUSA type churches. But as you said, you know this is not just them. Like mm-hmm. they're they're down the end of the rabbit hole where that leads. Right. But yeah, I brought in a couple of quotes um, from Beth Moore, and these are from 2019. Um, and you can see obviously why maybe she is drawn down this to to this place because she's preaching in pulpits to men, right? Uh, but she's had profound impact on the evangelical world. I would venture to say millions, millions of women. It's probably their favorite teacher. You know, she's very influential because of uh, Lifeway. I don't know if she still publishes for Lifeway anymore. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. Because she left the SBC eventually. But in 2019, uh, she said, I believe wholeheartedly, this is a tweet, 
I believe wholeheartedly that all Scripture is authoritative, truth, but the persons themselves, Paul and Jesus, are not equals. I know this is hard to swallow, but Paul is not our Savior. Okay. so Because people are arguing that Paul is their Savior. Yeah, very very (laughs) definition of a straw man. So if you ever wonder what that is, Uh I know there's no one in the evangelical world that believes Paul and Jesus are equals. Mm -hmm. No one. Right. And there is absolutely no one worshiping Paul as a Savior. Mm Mm-hmm. No one. There's zero people. But that's kind of how this dilemma is presented. But you can see already it's presented as there's Paul, then there's Jesus. And so, you know, we get the red letter, red letter type Christians that view the red letters of the Bible as more authoritative than the black letters and the rest of the Bible. You go down, I mean, you go down that that, that road, and there's a lot of things that Jesus didn't talk about. mm -hmm. Um, So. We, we don't want to say, like, this is all that Jesus said. Right. And, and it even ignores the fact that the words of Jesus are being written down by people who aren't Jesus. By the, so, by I mean, the, there's, yeah. just, there's just a lot of problems. And it ignores the fact that Jesus told the, the apostles uh, at the end of John that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you all teach things. You, teach you all things. Like, there's, right. there's more I want to say, but you're not ready to hear it. But when the Spirit comes, he'll teach you. All of this, the things that I could tell you, but I, but right. you're not ready yet, <laughs> right? So it's his the continuation of his teaching through the Spirit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, but she also wrote in 2019 somewhere along the way, Denny. That's Denny Burke. She, he, she's addressing. We have to reckon with the fact that we, myself included, went too far. We put limitations on women that exceed what Christ demonstrated. We did it instead of wrestling with the tension between the Gospels and the Epistles. We're watching a backlash. So you see kind of how it's, it's set up. Uh, the Christian world put limitations on women unjustly uh, that Jesus did not do. And this happened because we didn't wrestle with the tension between the Gospels and the Epistles. So now they're pitted against each other. Right. There's the Gospels, which contain the pure teaching. Then there's the Epistles, which, I guess speaking outside of both sides of your mouth, you, you could say they are authoritative, but they're not the words of Jesus. Mm. And so now Paul is pitted against Christ, Peter against Christ, John against Christ, um, and because we didn't wrestle with that, that they're in tension with each other, meaning they're in conflict. They're not teaching the same things. Mm. So the gateway is now swung open to this subjective like interpretation of the Scriptures. Uh, all Scriptures are authoritative, but but there are some more authoritative than others. Right. Um, <clears throat> and, and Paul's aren't authoritative in the yeah. way that Jesus's are. But what we should know, everybody should take a deep breath and ask <laughs> themselves, what did Christians believe for 2,000 years? <laughs> right? right? Why is it changing now? Mm-hmm. Why is it changing now? Why for 2,000 years did right. Christians believe the words of the apostle are the words of Jesus and they're to be taken as authoritative? Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's happened in the past 2,000 years that changed it is the rise of the feminist movement, and the rise of the LGBTQ movement. That's it. That's the only things that have changed. And so now people are ready to jettison the teachings, the clear teachings of the apostles, uh, and interpret them through the lens of feminism and, I guess, queer theory is the technical term, right? Mm. Um, And so here we are today. And that's leaking now into supposed conservative churches, right? But we can't. We I've can't run, do I've, that. I mean, I've run across this um, in a, 
I guess, an innocent way yeah. uh, that the red, you know, the red letter, the red letter Bibles, like the red letters are more important. Yeah. Um, we've kind of done it to ourselves with the way that our Bibles are often printed. Mm-hmm. I, I think people can get that impression. Yeah. Right. They can. I think maybe. Yeah. But we shouldn't have that. You know, if think about, just think about what an apostle is, how mm-hmm. there's never been another one since John died. These men are special. Well, you know, we don't like to maybe call people special, but if Christ appoints a, pe- a certain group of men for a special task, and that is substantiated through their working of miracles, like Jesus did miracles, their sign, these sign gifts, um, the words that they write, as all Christians have believed for 2,000 years, we shouldn't view them as the words of Paul, though they are. We should view more Paul like a conduit, you know what I mean? Like a connection to Jesus, through which Jesus speaks. Not that he takes him over like a puppet, but but one who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, writes the very words of God to his church, to build his church on the on a steady foundation. So that's how we are to take them, and that's how the Roman church should should receive them, and that's why it's important that he introduces himself in this way, because what he's going to write, they're not just the words of any man, right? They're the words of a man who has been encountered Christ. Um, I and this is just my speculation, but probably more than once, right? That we have that encounter of the dramatic conversion, but he was taught the gospel not by any man, but by Jesus himself, and given his authority. He put his authority into that man and empowered him to write Scripture. And what we have is accurate, and it's clear. Um, It's not clear when we start to examine Paul through, like, the lens of these various cultural movements that are shaping, (laughs) you know, the world around us. Right. Yeah. All right, so uh, Paul is a servant of Christ, Paul is an apostle of Christ, and finally, Paul is a preacher of Christ. And that's what he says at the end of the the sentence, having been set apart for the gospel of God. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, So this, this third phrase, set apart for the gospel of God, at face value, at quick glance, we get the meaning. Paul is set apart to something. He's set apart to the gospel, and and the phrasing of it, the gospel of God, it really communicates the idea of a source. Like, well, we can talk the gospel, but before we get to the gospel, whose gospel is it? It's God's gospel. It's and the word means good news, euangelion, and it's a I think a beautiful word. I think it I think it might make a beautiful name for a kid. What do you think? I think so. I think if we translate into English, we make a nice word for a child. So yeah, that's uh, the name of one of my children, right? Evangeline. Beautiful word, good news. Um, and this good news is God's, it's God's good, good news. He's the source, he's the fountain of it, the originator of it. And that's shorthand in the Gospels for the work of Christ, of God sending his, his Son into the world, take on human flesh, which we'll get in more detail on that next week, living a perfectly obedient life to the law, fulfilling the law, dying on a Roman cross, bleeding his blood as a sacrifice for sinners, and 
dying and being buried in a tomb, but rising again on the third day, conquering death, which the wages of sin is death, taking the wage to which we all earn in our sin, that Christ took all of that, and now we can be made right with God. The resurrected Christ calls all men to repent and to believe this gospel through his apostles, and now anyone, simply by faith alone, apart from all human works, because no work can undo the debt we owe to God, by faith alone in the work of Christ, any human now can be justified by faith in Christ and receive the righteousness of God. Incredibly good news. This is the gospel he takes out into the world and is preaching everywhere. Synagogues, Mars Hill, you name it. He's, he's called and set apart to that gospel to preach the gospel of God. So we understand on first glance what this really what this means. Um, and really, there is a sense to which all people are called this way. Right, we're called to the same task. Called, and the Great Commission is for all Christians. Um, obviously, not all are apostles, but it goes it goes really kind of deeper than that. Um, there is some again. Some of these things are just kind of background speculation, but there is some writing, and I think maybe something to the fact that he used to be a Pharisee, you know, and a and a Pharisee is right. one who is set. Uh, set apart from, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it means. So a Pharisee is devoted to God, set apart from other people and that and their devotion to the law. Mm-hmm. That's really what they are. They're set apart to the law. Right. It's um, so much so that they would make another barrier around the law and keep all of these human traditions that would keep them obedient to the law. Mm. But now he's set apart not to the law, but he's set apart to the gospel. And I think there, because I think, I, th- I think that the inspiration under the inspiration of the Spirit that, that these men write like there's things that are there obvious on the surface, but there are things when you when you dig in that oh he used to be a set apart one, mm-hmm. but now he's calling himself a set apart one to the gospel. So mm-hmm. I think there is something there, and I think that's yeah. Um, I think that it has. Uh, Pretty good implications as as we work th- forward through the book of Romans because he'll bring the law up a lot, right? Right. Um, but then he brings up something greater than the law, the gospel. So there's that element. Um, but then it, there's also this part of it that if we don't read the rest of the Bible, we might can miss. This serves almost as an introduction to the doctrine of election, which comes up throughout this. You book. just couldn't help yourself, could you? you yeah, to, I just you couldn't. Just help had, you just had to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> Better just at, the, just at the very beginning. Just got to prepare them for what's coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. So, yeah, um, the doctrine how, of election. How, yeah, how do you get there? How do you get there from from this? Uh, just this line. From this line, okay. Yeah. So, first, maybe like, what is the doctrine of election? If people are wondering, so here's the way I summarize it. It probably could be done better, but. That God chooses to set his grace and mercy in love on certain people um, with no regard to the person's merit. Okay, so God doesn't look down through time and say, this is a good man. You know, he'll be one of the elect. Choice, no, it, choice meets. Choice meets, right. No, it's, it's God and his sovereign choice. It's God's sovereign choice to set his love on a people, and their election does not operate via the person's, uh, in regard to the person's merit. Right, the goodness or badness we would think of an individual. Mm. Now, election 
as we'll see as we go through Paul, does not mean you are elect to be a Christian from your birth. That's not what it means. Um, it just means you are a person chosen by God that sometime that election will manifest itself in a conversion uh, of where, through grace, God sets his love upon you and you're regenerated to become a, become a believer. Um, but there are people that they've never heard the word. Like, um, it, it may be, maybe they're a young Christian, so they have, you know, they don't really bear any responsibility to that because they just started reading their Bible. So they may not even be aware this is a doctrine, but a lot of people have never heard it and they've been in church forever. They've been in church their whole life and they've never heard this word before, you know. Um, I talked about the older couple that came to our church. They came a few times. They came to a Sunday school class, and it was a systematic theology class, and we just happened to be on soteriology, or the doctrine of salvation. That's what that is. And so, of course, we're talking about election. And afterward, they were like, we've never heard that word before used in anything like this, because we thought election was just something that you know we did. We go to the voting booth. There's an election. But just think about that. Like, how can you be a Christian for thirty, you know, thirty years mm-hmm. and never, never hear this doctrine, and be a member of Southern Baptist Church? Like, I, I had people telling me that they didn't, they didn't believe in election. Yeah, um, because they, they, they hear it and they immediately think Calvinism. Yeah, and my response was, it's in the Bible. You, <laughs> you have to believe it. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, it's just, it. It's just the. It's taken from the the Greek word. Like right. there, there's not a there's not a there's not a range of meanings, mm-hmm. and we just chose this one. Like that that's what it means. Right, it means to, to choose. Yeah, and everyone historically that has been Christians, they all have a doctrine of election. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, except for you know, I guess Americans who don't read their Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, but one problem that you may have had is that they're preachers. So if you never heard of the doctrine, you don't even understand it. The first person whose fault that is has got to be the pastors. Mm-hmm. So generation of generation of pastors who are apparently ashamed of this word, ashamed of the doctrine, never preached on it before, right? That's, I think, pretty obvious that that, that goes on, especially if you're m- more inclined to be a guy that kind of skips around. Mm-hmm. Like, you probably don't wake up one Sunday and say, you know what my people need? They need to hear about the doctrine of election. Yeah. You may, your half of your church may be gone the next Sunday you do that. You know? <laughs> don't I know it, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it's there. I mean, you've got you've to deal with it, you know. Um, but you still run into people today, and they, they would say they don't believe in election or predestination have been Christians for a long time. Mm. So it can be the, the pastor's fault. But if, you, if you're a Christian and you live in America and you've been a Christian longer than a year and you never heard the word, like or, it's your fault. Or read it. Or read it. Like it's your own fault because mm. you don't read the Bible. So just be real with yourself and say, you know, I just don't care to read God's word, so mm. I don't actually even know what Christians believe. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's, yeah. that's true, right? Like uh-huh. how, can you, how can you say... I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, I have no idea what's in the Bible. Right, like read your Bible. That doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. And anyone can read the Bible. Like You know, kids can read the Bible and know what it means. Um, 
they may not be able to grasp more of the complex things. They may need their parents to help them to understand and work through that, but they can read. Mm. If you can read at a high school level or even maybe even below, you can know what God says and it's there. I mean, it's just right there. So there's that problem, right? But this doctrine becomes explicit in Romans chapter 8, chapter 9, which we've talked about before. Many people have never even heard those chapters preached. The end of And why the, why the end of Romans 8 would be ever avoided is insane. It's one of the greatest sections. Yeah. If you need encouragement and you're struggling even with assurance of salvation, you need <laughs> the end of Romans 8. It's mm-hmm. unreal. Yep. But it literally says in Romans 8, 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Right. How are you going to understand that if you don't even know what that means, mm-hmm. right? And then he says, it is God who justifies, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is in- interceding for us on our behalf. You need that verse. Like, how can you do what Hebrews, you just preach through Hebrews, how are you going to make it through this world without understanding Romans chapter 8, 33 through 34. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so these are the words of the apostle, but they're, God, they're Christ's words to you as an encouragement. So if you struggle with assurance, election's a big deal, right? Like, you need to know it. Um, so how do we get here from this verse? Obviously, people are asking, probably, they're like, I don't see election here. But the word is set apart for the gospel of God. And so there's a principle um, which you should write down. It's called Scripture Interprets Scripture. It's a principle which emerges out of the Reformation, and that is before you go outside of the Bible or even into backgrounds, you need to find in the Bible, is has this been talked about in other places? And do those places give me clarification on what could be meant here? Right, That we should always take that approach, and especially if you have the same author, right? So start there, same author, but then, of course, the other writers, they write what they write is in agreement with all the the other writers, so you can just keep expanding and kind of building your understanding just using the Bible. And in Galatians uh, 1, 13 through 16, Paul is talking about this conversion, his calling, his being set apart, but he uses this terminology, He says, just listen to the words, and you'll really get its impact. He speaks about how in his former life of Judaism, he was persecuting the church, violently trying to destroy it. He was advancing in Judaism beyond all of his peers, and he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Then he says in verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, he goes on to explain then what happened. But just think about that word, just just this sentence. Slow it, slow it down, and you can see it in two parts. He who set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, right? So there, Paul was not set apart, or Paul was not elect, he was not elect to, from his birth to being a Christian. That's not what election is, right? Election is that God had chosen him before he was born, but then later called him by his grace, right? Out of the midst of his sin and his rebellion against God, that election manifests itself in reality. Right. There was a time when he was unregenerate and a sinner under the wrath of God, but God in his grace called him out of that. But that was going to be a reality because before Paul was ever born, he was chosen by God. He was set apart. Um, 
And so you see it now. Before he was born, before he ever did anything good or bad, as he'll explain in Romans 9, um, Paul was chosen by the sovereign grace of God. And it's very clear that Paul did not choose Jesus. We think, we, we like to think that it was us doing the choosing. But if there was ever a person you could point to that did not choose to follow Christ, right? It wasn't, he obviously did, right? He had faith in Christ. He chose to follow him and be obedient. But at the moment of Paul's conversion, he's actively persecuting Christ. God chose him. That manifests itself in the calling, that effectual calling, which for him was different than ours. We're effectually called through the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. But he was called directly by Jesus himself. Yeah. Tied back to his apostleship, right? Um, and so we we ought to know when we look at this, like Paul's not like God's audible. You can have this wrong impression if you just like kind of looking at the Bible. You say, "Look how good God is at making adjustments." Here's a man ravaging the church. Here's a man trying to destroy Christianity. And it's almost like God reads the defense and he's calling plays, right? And so he comes up get ready to take the snap, and he's like, there's the linebacker, Paul. He's fix- He's getting ready to try to sack me. You know what I'll do? I'll call an audible, and I'm actually going to turn that enemy of the church into its great- greatest preacher. That's not at all what's going on. Uh, before he was ever born, born, he was chosen for this task. And you can see in God's grand design, like looking back, you can see the brilliant design of God. A man born perfectly uh, into the perfect situation, right? He's born a Roman citizen. He can traverse both worlds like no one else. Like none of the other other apostles can 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 move so easily in and out of the various cultures that he will encounter through the Roman Empire. But Paul Paul can do it all. And it was Roman law. Roman law. He appeals to it. Appeals to his citizenship. He's he's literally is literally like before time and space itself existed. It's like God said. I'm going to make the greatest theologian, preacher, church planner that ever lived, and when he's born, he's going to be born perfectly in the right place at the right time, and he'll be able to do things no one else can do. Um, that's what we see, I think, in the Apostle Paul. He's born exactly as God would have him to be born. He, everything he went through in his life led him to this point, yeah. all part of God's grand design to, to make him a, a preacher to the nations. Mm. So we're introduced to this doctrine via Paul's calling. Yeah. Um, but we should view ourselves in the same way, right? We aren't apostles, and you know, probably we're never going to have the impact. Uh, there's probably never going to be another human alive that has the impact of the Apostle Paul. Um, but that doesn't mean that your calling, right, that your election is somehow in, a, in like a second-tier category. Because I think the same thing that God did with Paul and his sovereign plan of having him be born at just the right time, just the right parents, just the right circumstances to impact, be an impact for the gospel is is true for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like our our birth into this world is not an accident. You were born exactly where God wanted you to be born, with all of the struggles and pain and sufferings and everything that goes along with it. That makes you into the person that you are. And there are places only you can go with the gospel, no one else. And this is all part of God's intricate grand design to take the gospel out to the whole world. And you should view 
your salvation, your calling and election the same way. So if you look, when, you, when I'm preaching and I look out over the church, I see people from all kinds of different backgrounds, right? I mean, we have people now that of various ethnic backgrounds and even multi, uh, uh, all those multiculturalism that's in our church, but not just that, like other people born in other countries, their families from other countries, um, people that are in certain positions in the military, people that work in schools, people that work in like IT and you name it, like construction workers, uh, stay-at-home moms, uh, moms that are working. The potential now for the gospel to get to these places far surpasses if you're just relying on preachers. Like if it's just the ministers, like we'll, we could never in an entire lifetime in, right. <laughs> infiltrate all of those various circles, right? There's no way. But in God's grand design, every person is exactly where he wants them to be. And they're there now, a servant of Christ. Like you can almost view it like uh, Christ sending out his servants, his slaves, and they'll, they're infiltrating like every aspect of society. Um, and we could see this even in the early church that even among the household slaves of Caesar, they're converted in Paul's lifetime. That's amazing. You just think about how amazing that is for the gospel to start with the with this small group of people in amongst an occupied territory to go to the most powerful household on planet Earth, and now they're infiltrated by servants of the one true king. Mm. It's mind-blowing. It is. And, and so we're introduced, I think, to that here uh, at the very beginning. Okay. Yeah. That would help with the um, unity between the Jews and Gentiles, mm-hmm. for sure. Right. Yeah. Because I realize that they're there because God's chosen them to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So that's it. Three ways that Paul, he kind of introduces himself so that he can get this right impression of who he is in his ministry uh, so that we'd be ready to receive the letter. Okay. All right. He's a slave. He is uh, an apostle, and he's a preacher. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, where are, you, uh, where are you going next week? Next week we'll go uh, verses 2 through 7, Okay, and it's really kind of an explanation of the gospel. So you see what the gospel is and then kind of see its purposes. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. Well, already uh, already enjoying going through Romans. Yeah. That's I wish good. it could have been a little shorter, but I did a little better job of editing out things and, and try to, to make that sermon a little shorter. That's how it would improve it. Yeah. So hopefully it didn't seem too long. It was longer than the eight minutes that the Pope was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was telling a priest to... Yeah. To keep their homilies right so keep it to eight minutes this is a this is a protestant sermon this is well not, you know uh, this, when isn't you, a fr- this isn't from the papist when you have apostolic authority <laughs> right you can keep your sermons to eight minutes apparently <laughs> yeah yeah so that, that's interesting a little side note um eastern orthodox and Roman Catholics, and I guess Anglicans, they claim apostolic succession, right? Apostolic yeah. authority. Uh-huh. But we've seen in the Bible how that's impossible. So does uh, Pastor Jim at the IFB. Right. Oh. 
Right. <laughs> but you can't pass it down, or you can't. That's the one thing I think we do see yeah. the apostles. They have authority, uh-huh. they don't, but they don't have that authority to make right. another apostle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the distinction is is very clear. I was looking at the um, at the Jerusalem Council, mm-hmm. and it it makes a distinction between the apostles and the elders. Right. So just because they're pastors in the Jerusalem Church doesn't mean that they're apostles. Mm-hmm. But there's that distinction. Yeah, I was noticing that. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, thanks, Jay. It was, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun talking about it and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing going through the Book of Romans. So I would encourage you to go back and watch the sermon. Uh, we've got an app. We've got a Christ oh, yeah, yeah, Fellowship yeah, yeah. Church of Lawton app. So if you haven't downloaded that, make sure you go on to Google Play or to the uh, Apple Store and download that. It will give you access to uh, past sermons, the live feed, and uh, some more. Uh, And make sure to like, subscribe, and share. Get the word out. And we will see you next time. God bless.